Welcome to City Hope London's Sermon Podcast. To find out more about us, visit www.cityhope.london. We're going through a series at the moment in, uh, in 1 Peter, um, and the, the series is called Hope, Holiness, and Witness, and we're in the middle of our series. And 1 Peter was written by the Apostle Peter, and in terms of history, I think Peter is a pretty significant and vastly underrated guy. Why? Because he, his influence on the world as we know it today, was hugely significant. He um, spent uh, three years doing everything with Jesus, living his whole life with him. I, I was thinking, do you know that game that sometimes people do? If you could invite five people to have dinner with, or if you could spend one day with a particular person, for many of us, even if you're not a Christian, you'd probably think, I'd love to spend a bit of time with Jesus. Well, Peter got to spend three intensive years with him. They traveled together. They climbed mountains together. They ate food together. Peter undertook like an intensive training course, and Jesus was his teacher and his mentor. So he had these three significant years. But to be honest, Peter was a pretty flaky guy. One moment he's excited and bold and courageous, and the next minute he's cowering in the corner. Like, take for instance the night before Jesus died. Jesus comes to Peter and says, Do you know what? Before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, No, I would go to the cross for you. I'd never deny you. And Jesus said, Well, okay, well, let's wait and see. Uh, and, then, and then they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. We celebrate this all over Easter period. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus, the day before Jesus or the night before Jesus gets um, executed. And, and some guards come up to Jesus to arrest him. And Peter, as brave as you like, just comes. He gets a sword and chops off the ear of one of the guards coming to arrest him. It's like, wow, how brave is he? How uh, but, but I kind of think it's because he's near Jesus. And then the next thing we read about Peter is after Jesus is arrested, Peter goes into the town and people start recognizing Peter. You're the guy that's been going around with Jesus. And Peter says, no, I'm not. And someone else comes and he says, they say, you're, you're that guy that's just been with Jesus for that whole time. And he's like, no, I don't know him. And, and then another person comes and Peter says, please leave me alone. I don't know who you're talking about. Suddenly, this brave and fearless guy has become a, a cowering wreck. Then, Jesus is, is executed on the cross on the Friday. He rises again on the, um, on the Sunday, which is what we celebrate on, on um, Easter Sunday, obviously. And Peter is one of the people that run to the tomb to find it empty and the grave clothes lying there. He gets to see that. And then later on, he sees Jesus in the flesh. At some point, they eat breakfast together on the beach, him and Jesus eating fish together. Very weird breakfast, in my opinion, but for some people, they love it. 
And he, he spends the next uh, number of weeks with Jesus, again, hearing from him, learning from him, and all of this kind of thing. And then Jesus ascends, and eventually we have the day of Pentecost, when Peter's gathered all the believers in, together in one place. And the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, falls down on this group of people. It's a remarkable moment. And something miraculous happens to Peter. Because no more do we have this guy who one minute is brave and bold and the next minute is, is cowering. He just has this boldness, this courage. That he'll talk to anyone. And he goes and starts preaching the gospel to anyone who will listen to him. And thousands of people come and put their trust in Jesus as he's preaching. But Peter's message isn't, Jesus loves you, he really cares for you, why don't you just like, love him back? It's nothing like that. Je Peter goes for them. He says, you know what, Je Jesus is the Messiah, the one the Jews have been waiting for. And he came and you killed him. His blood is on your hands. And these people all hearing this courageous man just accusing them of killing the Messiah. And he said, but he rose again and he's victorious. And people are cut to the heart. They're cut to the heart. There's something about this message and what Peter's saying that breaks their heart. And they end up saying, what must we do to be saved? And, and Peter says, you must believe and be baptized. And you will receive the, the Spirit of God when you do it. It's an amazing turnaround, and it's an amazing thing. And, and you know what? Um, when I think about the world today, the Western world, and how Christianity has just gone around, it's gone viral, millions and millions of people serving and loving Jesus, it's actually, you trace it back and you think, this is where it all began. The question is, who are these people that he's preaching? Who, who are these thousands of people? 3,000 on one day. And then it just kept on getting bigger and bigger. Firstly, you have, well, you have two groups of people. You have the Jews. They're the people of God. They've been waiting for this Messiah. And he preaches to them and says, the Messiah has come. He's died and has risen again. And he's Jesus Christ. And, and, and people hear this message and by their thousands put their trust in Jesus. But there's another group, and they're called the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are basically everyone else. It's a catch-all term. So if you weren't Jewish, you were a Gentile. Romans, Greeks, Africans, Europeans, there were men and there, there were women. And Peter's message to them was, the Messiah came for you as well. He is your king. He is your Lord. He's your saviour. And so they're invited to come into this amazing story that the Jews have been waiting to see it fulfilled, and now the Gentiles are allowed to come in and be part of this. And you cannot underestimate how significant it was for someone who was a Gentile from a Gentile background to put their trust in this message that Peter was preaching, to put their trust in Jesus Christ. You see, in our culture, to worship God is a, a, considered a matter of personal choice or preference. You can, we, we have this freedom in our country to say, yeah, I want to put my trust in Jesus. Or you can put your trust in whatever. It's not unusual to have households where you've got someone who's a Muslim, someone who's a Christian, someone who's a humanist, and someone who's an atheist. That's not an unusual thing. But you couldn't do that in ancient cultures. 
in ancient cultures, who or what you worshipped affected everything about you. Your ethics, your social standing, your business, your income, your, your family's place within the community. In ancient cultures, to switch from serving this particular god or Roman god or Greek idol to putting your trust in Jesus was something impossible to do. It would have changed everything about your life. But that is what was happening to these new believers. That was their experience. And now, when you think about the global church with those millions, you can trace it all back to what God did through, in and through Peter. There was something about his preaching that was so powerful and so compelling that thousands were willing to say goodbye to their old lives in order to put their trust and follow Jesus. Except for, for many of these believers, they couldn't just say goodbye to their old lives. If you were a citizen of the Roman Empire, as well as paying taxes, you had certain social and religious obligations that you had to meet. And that was going to be a big problem for these new believers because they weren't now allowed to, to worship these idols. They couldn't because they've got the God of heaven and earth that they want to put their trust in. So it became a problem. If you were a slave in that situation, and obviously slavery was huge across the Roman Empire. If you were a slave and you had heard the gospel and given your life to Jesus, you couldn't just go up to your master and say, uh, I've found Jesus, so I'm going to pack my bags and off I go. That's not how this particular system worked. If you were the wife of an unbelieving husband, it wasn't as simple as saying, Hi, hubby, just to let you know, I've been enlightened, I've found Jesus, so instead of going to the temple with you next week, I'm going to go off and uh, meet with my church friends. You wouldn't be able to do that. That wasn't a possibility. That's not how the culture worked. So Peter writes this letter to help believers work out how to follow Jesus whilst at the same time finding themselves in this foreign and alien culture of theirs. Or to put it in other New Testament language, Peter's asking this question, how are Christians to honour Christ Jesus as Lord in a culture in which Caesar is Lord? Or how do followers of Jesus live out the kingdom of God whilst continuing to live in the kingdom of the world? And we're going to see today how Peter seeks to help slaves work out how to follow Jesus even though they have earthly masters. Wives, how to honour their husbands whilst honouring Jesus. Husbands, how to love their wives with a Christ-like love and honour. So that's what we're going to look at very briefly today. But he starts by helping Christians now know how to honour both God and their often tyrannical and oppressive political leaders. So we're going to read together, if you've got your Bibles, just to say, if you don't have a... No, there's not. There's normally Bibles over here, but there isn't any. Uh, but I'm sure by the end of the service, we'll see if we can find some. So if you want a Bible, you can take one. But we're reading from 1 Peter 2. And uh, verse 11, and it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires which wage war against your soul. 
Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourself, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor or the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by God to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom to cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Right, now before you start thinking... Well, these, this government that Peter had must have been an amazing government for God to say that they should be honoured. That is not the case. Nero is in charge of Rome at this point. It's either happened or it's about to happen. There's going to be a great fire of Rome where thousands of people are killed. And, and Nero pins the blame on the Christians and tells them they've got to leave Rome or get executed. And in fact, many Christians got executed at the hands of Nero. So why does Peter encourage the believers to honor this particular emperor? Or an even bigger question, how can Peter say that uh, this Christian-hating tyrant has been sent by God to punish evil and reward good? That doesn't make sense. But, and, and you can look at this for a very long period of time, but I want to give up two points. Firstly, God is, is pro-governance. Let me get, understand, help you understand what I mean. He's a God that always brings order out of chaos. He brings peace out of anxiety. Generally, governance and good order is better than everyone doing whatever they see fit in their own eyes. So in a general sense, God sees good governance and, as a good thing. Secondly, I believe that Peter's faith in the power of the gospel and the kingdom of God is so strong that he's playing the long game. Do you know, Peter's idea is, look, Christians, if we put everything Jesus says into practice, it's going to bring flourishing and good and well-being to the communities that we're living in. And at first, they're going to look at us and say, you're nuts, you're weird, you're strange, you're wrong, you're ethically uh, corrupt. But as they see it outworked, this community of believers, it's going to bring blessing, and people are going to say, that is good, and it brings something good. Jesus did that. He played the long game. Jesus says, uh, Paul says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So in other words, Jesus knew he had something to give, and he was ridiculed and attacked and beaten down for it, but Jesus saw it's worth doing it because there's a joy set before me. I'm going to go through that experience of pain and hardship because I know it's going to bring blessing to these people, and it's going to bring honor to God. So the quick first question is, how do we submit to authorities and honor the emperor? How do we submit to those over us, whether or not we think they're good or bad? How do we do that? And I want to encourage us here, because I don't think our culture isn't great at honoring people, especially if we don't agree with them. So I think it's a good challenge for us to think, how can we do this? First one, 
I want us to, uh, let's be people that pray before we bay. Let's be people that pray. If you like that, I've got a better one. Let's, <laughs> let's be people who throw our hands up in prayer before we put our hands up in despair. Let's be people, yeah, there's, you preferred that one. You preferred that one. Okay. Let's pray, yeah? No, seriously, often it's like, okay, I'm angry, Twitter. <laughs> I'm angry, whatever, okay? Let's go, I'm angry, or I'm, I'm scared, or I'm worried. I'm going to go and pray. Listen to what uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2. He says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving, Paul had the same guy over them, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live in peace and live quiet lives in all goodness and holiness. This is good and it pleases God our Saviour who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. So that's, that's the first thing. Let's be people that pray for our governments. Secondly, give back to... This is not my cleverness. This is Jesus' cleverness. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God's what is God's. There may be rare moments, thankfully, in our, in our kind of where we are. There might be rare moments where we think, actually, what we're being asked to do by a government it goes against what God calls us to do. But they are rare moments. And in the, in the main, God calls us to honor the leaders and respect the rules. And we should be that. We, people, we should be able to say, actually, as best as we can, even though we don't always agree that it's 100% the best thing to do, we're going to honor the emperor because that's what God has told us to do. Thirdly, let's get good at doing our jobs so we can serve people well and become influences. We need wise and uh, discerning people, godly people, people with godly character in the civil service and in the government and in think tanks. We need wise and godly people in places like education settings and healthcare. And if you're an advocate in some kind of way, as a lawyer or part of the union or, or wherever, it's like actually do it in a godly way to bring righteousness and justice and hope to people, not in bitterness or anger. Let's do it in a, a godly way. Let's demonstrate a godly way of doing things. And obviously, there are so many different things you could pinpoint, but we're called to work hard, to be diligent, and to be trustworthy. 1 Peter 4 verse uh, 10, I love this verse. It says this, Each of you should use whatever you, gift you have, um, you've received, to serve others as faithful stewards of the grace of God in various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it um, with all the strength God provides, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And of course, we can apply that on a Sunday morning, when we're preaching or when we're serving outside. We can, we can do that here, but that's for your workplace as well. Teachers, when you're standing up, do it as if you're bringing the very words of God. Find the way of bringing the kingdom of God into your area. And then the last thing we can do is love our neighbors. There's a guy called Bruce Winter. He's a, um, I think he's Australian, and I always think Bruce is a great Australian name. Bruce. Bruce Winter. 
And, and actually, he's done some research into what this looked like, these good te- deeds looked like. And it wasn't just about being good, being friendly, being kind. It wasn't just uh, at that level, although that's a good level to be working at. It actually uh, had a, a kind of, it was a civic level understanding. Good deeds were seen in the Roman Empire as a way of helping the community. Uh, and, and so people uh, of nobility would give money to raise funds in order to, you know, if there was a, you know, it was in Turkey, so if there was a, a, an earthquake, people would be giving to help rebuild the city. And, and Peter's argument is, let's be involved in that. Let's be generous. Let's pe- let people see how generous we can be as, as, as the people of God. And, and then they'll, they'll, you know, they'll accuse us of doing all sorts of uh, bad things because they don't understand us. But then they'll see our good deeds and they'll give glory to God uh, for it. So, so let's be people that do that. Let's, let's combat uh, hatred and mistrust with kindness and, um, and, gen- and gentleness. And, uh, and just a couple of ideas here. So I don't know if Alan Chabron's here, but he, he rec- a couple of years ago got something called the Freedom of the City, which was where he was recognized for all the things he had done for our community and Rotherhive over very, uh, like a long period of time. And actually, that's a form of him doing good deeds that has been recognized by people. Last week, or a couple of weeks ago now, Kwame had all of the uh, providers of uh, youth work within, uh, within Southwark and a whole load of the councillors in here to talk about what we as, as a community can do to serve our young people in this area. And Kwame was able to talk about what we've done as a church and people were able to see the things that were happening as a result of what's going on here. So that's an exciting thing. So as you give time to things like Fab Fridays, or to your local TRA, or to food bank, or to your school governors, or to street pastors, or whatever it is that God's put you in, do it with all your heart because you're fulfilling Peter's challenge to us in that. And then, so after Peter's talked about, you know, how do we honor the emperor and, and all of that, he then starts getting more specific. He, he talks to slaves, to wives, and to husbands. And the question that is being asked and the challenge Peter give, is giving is, is essentially the same, but at a household level. The question is, how do we live as both members of God's house God's family, whilst at the same time living in the households that we currently find ourselves in. And so I just want to give you a little bit of kind of an insight into uh, the kind of average Roman setup. In first century Greco-Roman homes were often set up in a very particular way. So Plato and Aristotle and others laid out their expectations of how households should be maintained and their ideas have become known as the household codes or the domestic codes, or there's a few other names for them. And I've got, and I've got, um, I've got a quote here, and I'm afraid I can't remember who it's from, but it says, Although these philosophers had different views on how slaves and women should be treated, all shared the common belief that a well-ordered household uh, was the constitute basis for a strong, orderly, and prosperous society. And in these cultures, what would happen is you would have 
the head of the household or the head of the family, the patrafamilia or the father of the house. And under him was a wife who, whose primary, primary responsibility was to produce a son, a male heir, who would sustain the family uh, and the future generations. Okay? Um, then came children, and the oldest boy was the most important. He was the heir of the family estate and make sure that the, the, the family continues. And then comes all the non-related members of the family, like bond servants or slaves. And Peter first talks to this group, the slaves, and he says this, verse 18, Slaves, in, in reverent fear to God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it's commendable if you bear up under such pain and unjust suffering because they are uh, uh, con conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing what is wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ first suffered for you, slaves, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. The Greco-Roman culture was a money, sex, power-hungry culture. It was a hedonistic culture, a culture that just lived for the pleasures of the day. And the slave system on which the whole economy uh, relied enabled that to happen. And so Peter here is certainly not endorsing the system. As, as he's already reminded the believers, we are foreigners and aliens here. This is not our home. This is not our culture. So what is Peter doing here? He's seeking to strengthen and encourage slaves that are being held in this system. He's reminding them of their calling and their eternal hope, and we've looked at the eternal hope uh, in, in past weeks. He's saying, you're not alone in this. Christ values you so much that he suffered for you. Christ is with you now, and he's gone before you in everything you have to endure. In reverent fear of God, not in reverent um, fear of your master, in reverent fear of God, submit to your master's. Do you know, devastatingly, over the years, many people used verses like this to legitimize the transatlantic slave trade, arguing that Peter was putting in helpful regulations to ensure that slaves behaved well. This argument completely misses the point and the context of Peter's letter. It was never written to, uh, to affirm or reinforce the Roman culture. It was written to strengthen those who had to endure life in this culture that was not their own, whilst they waited for the hope of their heavenly home, their heavenly kingdom. Interestingly, when you listen to the words of the spirituals that have been sung by slaves over the years, you hear that their theology was far more sound than the theology of their slave masters because they were singing about the day where they will see him face to face. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. Their vision was a better vision 
than the one of their slave masters. But Peter, Peter, so Peter does encourage the Roman slaves, you're not alone, Christ is with you, and he will bring good from your struggle. I think we can take some principles from Peter's, uh, what he says here, and apply them into work situations. Perhaps you have got a hard boss. Perhaps you do feel sometimes, I'm living in an unethical place. And I want to encourage you to just keep loving Christ and loving them as you love Christ. As far as you can, follow their lead. And like Daniel or Joseph or Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the Old Testament, there might be moments where you think, I can't do that. I can't do that. Before God, I can't do that. But where you can, just bring the love of Christ into that situation and pray that his love uh, will conquer all. Amen? Amen. Amen. He then addresses wives um, that are married to unbelieving husbands. And in a moment, I've got a very special guest going to come up and speak to us about this. But I want to read this scripture first. Leslie, would you like to come up and get ready? And then, yeah, you can run. She'll need a microphone, actually, if that's okay. Yes, please, yeah. Yeah. Here we go. You'll be amazing. You, I'll just read this and then, and then I'll leave you. So it says this, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any one of them does not believe the words, they may be won over without words by their behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of, of their lives... Your beauty should not come uh, from outward adornments such as elaborate, elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewellery <laughs> or fine clothes, although it does come from that as well. Rather, it should, it should be from your inner self, the unfailing beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth to, in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in Jesus used to adorn themselves. They submit themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Secondly, in terms of caveat, there are many couples where one of them is going for God and the other is not. But the relationship is good, loving, mutually satisfying, and I want to thank God for that. And if... If, if that is you, and if you're in that kind of situation, firstly, I'll say, don't, don't put too much pressure on yourself, as Leslie so wisely said, and as Grace so wisely said. You know, the, the whole thing of just loving Jesus without words, um, they'll see it. They'll see something. When, when he talks about that inner beauty, um, you know, and it's, it, I think sometimes we can hear it as, you know, quite patronizing. You know, I can't remember what, what was the words that he talks about. Um, I've forgotten what they are. Uh, sorry, gentle and quiet spirit. Sometimes people can hear that as patronizing. Actually, that's what Jesus describes himself. Come to me, as Dan said at the beginning. All you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you, for I'm gentle and, and kind in spirit. It's like you're being Christ to your, to your partner as you do that. So, um, And very practically, if you are in a relationship like that, bring... Bring your partner to the Strengthening Relationships um, week, uh, day that's coming up at some point uh, soon. I can't remember the dates, but if they're up for coming, it's going to do them good. <laughs> Secondly, uh, just an, one other ca caveat is that um, it's, it's almost the opposite. So, 
for, for, um, sorry, for Leslie, she had a special grace on her to stay and to endure and to keep loving and keep trusting Jesus. And she's still got that grace on her. For some, it's, it might, perhaps it's in a, a more irreparable situation or a more dangerous situation. Um, and I just want to say there are some that kind of believe that divorce is never an option and that, it, um, you know, they might well argue from this passage from Peter that you should endure throughout. It doesn't really matter what happens. Um, but I would say that that's a very simplistic way of reading this, and it's not taken into the context a lot of other stuff that Jesus and Paul and others say. Um, yes, wherever possible, we want to see healing, and you know, even just just having that break for that um, that time was very helpful for them. Um, but there are times where we just know it's not going to be possible, and actually, if if there are times where my prayer is that I see someone freed from dangerous and, and horrible situations. Often, if there's abuse or adultery or abandonment, um, I would be, say, I'd be kind of saying, what do you want? And if someone thinks, actually, I, I need to get out of this, we would be supporting them and we have supported people and we'd be celebrating when they get that freedom on that day. So just to kind of say that, yes, God hates divorce, but what, what, start, what ends with divorce started with some kind of unfaithfulness to trusting God and to, and to putting his word into practice. So we want to make sure we're doing that. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm really running out of time, but let me just say a couple more things. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Remember, these are Roman heads of the house. yeah, And treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as they are heirs with you of God's uh, gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Do you know what? Th- though this is the shortest address, it's actually possibly one of the most radical and culture-shifting statements out there. They are told to treat their wives with respect, which is not something a Roman would have been told. You, did, you, you got to decide. You were the emperor of your own unit. And, and here Peter's saying, no, 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 treat them with respect where it talks about the weaker partner. Again, that's, that's a, a, a thing, of, you know, men are generally more physically strong, stronger than women. And often that was used as a way of, uh, of power and of control and coercion. And he's saying, no, that's not how you're to behave anymore under Jesus. Your wife is an heir with you. It's not just you. You're, she's an heir with you. And, and she's been given the grace of God just as you have. So there's a, and, and finally, essentially, there's a new Petra Familius in charge. And it's not the man, it's God in heaven. And if you mess around with the people that he's got you with, he's not going to listen to your prayers. So it's a strong warning to, to honor and to love and to, uh, and to bring Christ-like love into your family. There is a lot more I could have said about that, that, thi- that, whole, um, that whole thing, but I want to s- finish by saying this, and maybe the band could get up so we could just sing a song in, in response to close. The final verse kind of sums it all up by saying, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. 
Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Just what Leslie did. Because this, to this you were called, that you may inherit a blessing. And so I want to encourage us, although it's a, it's a strong and, and tough word, it's because we have got an eternal hope that we can endure this. Yes, we're called to a new kingdom, a new family, but at the moment, that is alongside a, a thing that's pretty tough at times. But what we do have in the midst of that is a king and a savior who's gone before us and stands with us. And so I want to encourage us just to kind of finish, really, by honoring him. We're going to worship. We, what song have we got? Oh, this is a thing. God, I look to you. Oh, that's an amazing song. So should we stand together? <laughs>